What's up, everybody? It's draft week. Football season is already back. Look at that. It's April, almost May 1st. It is time for the draft in our quote-unquote draft series episode here. We'll be breaking down every position in the draft, giving our takes on some of the top guys at quarterback, receiver, running back defense all of it um at the end of at the end of the podcast here today i am your host matt guest with me out in vegas is matt morris what is up man it is finally here football season is back with a question mark (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean we're getting uh we're getting into the big content period right where we have yeah this week's draft we're gonna have next week's breakdown uh the rogers news finally came down you know, we have Will Levis telling his family and friends he's going number one overall. Like, it is a lot of smoke and mirrors. Um, but I think the the biggest thing is we got this Rogers news out of the way. And yes, yeah, it's just nice to have you know some certainty as we have a lot of uncertainty with our you know our hometown Milwaukee Bucks down three <laughs> one. You know, yeah. the the Brewers losing two to the Tigers. Um, at least we know as Green Bay Packer fans, we're rebuilding. And we get to be excited for Thursday, Friday, Saturday to really see what the foundation is going to look like of Goot's first draft without Aaron Rodgers hanging over his head. Yeah, for sure. And we'll jump right into it. That was the first thing we wanted to talk about. It was kind of the, I don't know, obvious thing for draft week was that the Aaron Rodgers trade was still not finalized, right? And the news broke yesterday um, on Monday to start the week that the Packers traded away Aaron Rodgers and honestly I do think at the end of the day it's a win-win for both teams because it's a win for the Jets they had to get Aaron Rodgers at this point which you and I and a lot of other people viewed as the reason the Packers had the leverage like I know it doesn't make sense but worst case scenario the Packers just say hey don't show up and we'll pay you the 50 million now that's not great business but they didn't need the quarterback and the Jets did Uh, on the flip side you and I talked yesterday when the trade went down and we're going to tell our listeners here is that we can't be happier as green bay packer fans we get the pick swap this year worst case scenario we're getting a second next year we get set the the 42nd pick this year um i think we swapped what fifth and sixth round picks this year but most likely getting a first next year for aaron Rodgers on top of the second round pick this year um massive massive props to gudikins and as you said, kind of as I introduced you, the ball is in his court now. It is his Green Bay Packers team, him and LaFleur. It's their time to show either they're right or wrong about Aaron. Yeah, and I think from the Jets and from the Packers, they I think they negotiated a deal that was completely fair looking forward for what it does for both organizations. You know, you said it perfectly. The Jets needed a quarterback. You can't go into the 2023 season with Zach Wilson as your guy. If this trade doesn't get done during the draft, there's really no position for the Jets to move up and draft anybody that's going to make a significant impact in on this year's roster because all these guys are rookies. You're not getting young. Um, and I think when you talk about, too, the, the negotiations in regards to that second pick, uh, the second round pick that's conditional, this really puts the Jets in a position where, okay, if we get one year of Rodgers, it costs us a first, a second, and two picks in regards to the 13, which now is the 15th for them. So the swap. And I think that's fair value for Rodgers. And if Rodgers goes out there and loves his New York Jets team this year and wants to play into next year and has a good year next year and wants to play two more years, so he's four years with the Jets, you know what? Good for Rodgers. Let him extend his career. Like it shouldn't have been tied to the compensation of how long Rodgers plays in New York. It should have been, hey, we're getting draft 
capital this year and next year. We're also getting that that cap relief, which allows Green Bay to start moving forward. And, you know, hopefully for Rodgers, he has a good season. Hopefully he comes back and plays next year. Like, I still think he has a solid three to four years in this league, probably really three years before we start to see real regression. Uh, We have to remember, you know, he was playing with a broken thumb last year. Like, Rodgers is going to come out and play really good football this year. And I think if he gets back to winning in an organization where he's comfortable and he's fully in control, I think you might see Rodgers around more than we're really thinking he will be. Yeah, I agree with you there. And th- that's also the thing, too. You you said it is that the Jets didn't necessarily have to bank on draft picks moving forward because they've hit their last two drafts out of the park with their prospects. They don't need to get any younger, like you said. They need a veteran quarterback. They need a veteran receiver like Alan Lazard to come into that room. They need guys on defense to stay healthy and probably one other veteran free agent signing to just sure up that back end and just show some leadership of the locker room on that side. They have a win now roster, and that was my point throughout this whole thing is Aaron Rodgers makes the Jets a Super Bowl contender right now. You know, do I think they're going to get there? Probably not, but he gives them a shot at making the playoffs, and which means having a shot at the Super Bowl this year, whereas the other options they had available did not, and that's why I thought he was worth at least a first-round pick. Maybe not 13, but it's showing that he was worth one next year, um, and, you know, that that proved to be true, honestly. Well, and kind of looking at the Jets the Jets roster now that we have this deal done, I think there's left tackle to be taken care of in this draft. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably why the Packers were so adamant that they want to swap. Because at 13, you're, Green Bay's looking at wide receiver, left tackle, right tackle, tight end. There's three positions I think we all know. There's you know there's the slight chance that they go after a safety. Um, but it's similar needs for the, for the Jets. Because if you actually break down their wide receiver courts, Garrett Wilson, which I think we could comp to obviously a better player than Christian Watson. Right. There's any question about that, but I don't think the gap is as big as we would, we would actually like to argue it is. Then you have Alan Lazard as the two. Okay. Well, he had Alan Lazard and then at three you have Corey Davis, which I think is a bump from Sammy Watkins and Romeo Dobbs last year. I guess my point is he's, he's not stepping into that much of a different roster because then you look at Brees Hall and Michael Carter well, I think Brees Hall is probably better significantly than Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Like he is fully the, the full package. Michael Carter is not nearly the safety net that A.J. Dillon is. So Rogers steps into almost an identical roster. Sauce Gardner, Jair Alexander, like we could go position by position. But my point here is in this draft, needs are very similar for both teams. It's left tackle. You talk about Paris Johnson. You talk about Skaronsky, like. The Packers needed to be two picks ahead of the Jets just in case they were targeting the same guy we were. And it'll be really interesting to see how that pick plays where the Jets don't get that guy. Because like just like Green Bay's been for the last two years, three years, four years, they're one player away and one small hole away from being the favorites. Will that continue in New York now for Aaron? Yeah. Well, and don't forget the second round pick too. They're they're picking right in front of New York yep. in the first and the second. Yep. So you bring up a valid point. Um the other thing you want to chat about today and get a little uh, refresher on, I guess we could say, is the, I don't know, what are we, a, a sixth and eighth? Probably sixth the way through the baseball season at this point, right? The boys have played about 35 games. We're, no, 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 no. We're coming up on, I want to 40, say. 40, 50? No, oh my God, no. I was going to say, it's um, not that much. No, no, no. So, I mean, we're 23 games through right okay, now. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, we still, we got a minute still. Yeah, so we're, I mean, we're, we're coming up on the end of, 
kind of up on the end of April. Um, divisional leaders right now, Tampa, which I'll be just completely honest. I whiffed on that one. I had picked the Yankees Bad. for the AL East. Um, I, I don't think anyone could project that Tampa was going to go 20 and three. But um, the no, reason but we're we also con- we also sorry to interrupt you. We also did think that they were like actually going to take a significant step back because we. Yeah. I was like, "What do you mean Tampa's not going to be in it? They're always in it." And you're like, "No, I think they're taking a step back." So it was a shocking miss by you, to be honest, because you you're a big Tampa guy. Well, and I I had just projected that their offense would not be enough, and that their pitching wasn't as impressive as I think the industry was trying to tout, which. Glasnow is still out. They lost, um, you know, one starting rotation piece in, in uh, Jeffrey Springs, who was dominating to Tommy John, absolutely filthy, talking about possible Cy Young. Um, you had to bring Taj Bradley up, but Wander Franco took a step forward. Randy Rosarena is cementing himself as a superstar in Major League. You know, you have other pieces around the diamond like Isaac Paredes finally figuring out how to hit home runs. You have Yandy Diaz changing his launch angle and having big time power. Like there were just things that I couldn't have projected. Like I thought Wander definitely could take a step forward, but I wasn't a buyer on Randy Rosarena's superstar status. Like the rotational pieces that they have, like Josh Lau, who has been a very big prospect, but he's 25 and hasn't gotten full playing time. Like he took a step forward. Like it seems like everyone on this roster from an offensive perspective figured it out. Um, and I just wasn't projecting that because that's ridiculous. Um, but the reason I'm bringing this up today is because you and I had talked about this in regards to the rule changes and how significant I thought baseball was going to change this year. And it's not necessarily Tampa that I want to use as the example because Tampa is kind of an outlier in all the numbers that we look at right now. But it's really teams like Arizona, who's leading the NL West right now. Arizona is very young, has a lot of fluidity in their lineup as well as the rotation. Um, and let's be honest, they're just they don't really have a lot of great players. They have a lot of young guys, but they're absolutely leading the way in Major League Baseball in stolen bases. They have high contact guys. They have really, really good defensive players. If you hit that ball to the outfield. I'm going to say all three of their outfielders have 70 plus grade speed. Um, and obviously in the grading system, 80 is at the top. So there's a likelihood that even if you smack one in the gap, like it might be a single or it might be caught. And that was something we had talked about preseason was that defense is going to really start to dominate the game. That speed is going to play a bigger advantage than I think we, we, we uh, saw. And you can see that from Arizona. You can see that from Baltimore teams that are young and fast and focused on defense. And then we have Texas Rangers, AL West. You know, we talked preseason that the rotation might actually be better than people are talking about and that their offense might be really starting to gain steam. It's exactly what we've seen so far. Houston's fallen off a little bit at 12 and 11. Uh, injury concerns. Jordan's back in Houston with yet another injury. This time it's the neck. Uh, what else do we have here with Cleveland? You know, we talked a little bit before we jumped on today, like just an anemic offense. Their pitching is pretty good, but they're bringing up kids left and right. They have a uh, run differential of minus 12. I mean, already they brought up Logan Allen, uh, who pitched on Sunday. He's a prospect. They are bringing up Tanner Bybee, who pitched tomorrow, another prospect we've talked about. But they just can't score runs. And this is actually a team that kind of surprises me because they're very good on defense and they have a good amount of speed on the roster. But out, outside of what Tampa is doing, they're almost doing the opposite. Almost yeah. everyone's regressing. Um, but again, we're three and a half, four weeks in. You know, it is early. Uh, I think we will see some of these things change, but I, I would not be surprised to see Texas actually continue playing very well. Arizona is not going to lead the NL West. That's not going to happen as much as I love Corbin Carroll. 
you get the Dodgers and the Padres, you know, starting to pick up steam. Tatis is back. Um, Pittsburgh, right? Pittsburgh six and seven. Six <laughs> yeah. and seven. They lost O'Neill Cruz, so they've been doing all of this without O'Neill Cruz after the broken ankle. Um, you know, they've made some changes to their pitchers. What a their clumsy pitchers. mother effort, too, dude. What a, this is a bad, the most unathletic <sighs> thing I've ever seen. I mean, that's what happens when you're six seven and you're super yeah. athletic, though. Like, you know, get like, on the basketball awkward. court, pal. Like, what are we? <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? But, um, but yeah. So, speed is playing, defense is playing, right? Pitching is playing. I'm the believer that the juice ball is back at least currently. So, I think that's also why you're seeing some of this variable rate throughout teams, where you have guys like on Pittsburgh who are performing outside of their expected stats because. We don't know what ball we're playing with yet. That's my perception. Could be true, could be not true. Um, we'll have more of that kind of at our midseason report, though, for sure. Well, and I think the biggest, eh, not the biggest thing, but another massive point to make as well is that the small market teams are having a chance now. These younger, faster, speedier teams are now being able to compete with these high roster, big payroll teams that are out there spending money on home run hitters like okay you want to be the yankees you want to be the padres right even texas a little bit right with spending their money on Simeon seager they went out and got to grom and different things like that you have the pittsburgh pirates the baltimore orioles even our milwaukee brewers the bunch of nobodies out there going playing scrappy stealing bases playing great defense and starting off the season hot that is an immediate effect of the rule change. I agree with you. And I think it's a net positive because in years past, we're 25, we'll say 30 games into the season, and the Pirates have won four games, and their season's mm. over already. And the NL Central is a three-team race before June. And it's like, that's not good for anyone. Now, obviously, in Pittsburgh, people are going to the games and all that fun stuff from a fan's perspective, but from a competition level and a competition um, aspect and view for Major League Baseball, this is a massive net positive that these small market teams that are choosing to not pay guys and go with these younger cats are actually performing and playing well. So I think that's a positive for Major League Baseball because you do not need June baseball empty ballparks. And it's like you said, it's early, but I think that's also a really cool thing. Yeah, and you know, I, I think one of the last standing pieces of you know bad baseball we have right now is the Oakland A's who I yeah. think now are officially starting their transition out here to Vegas. Um, Correct. God, they're bad. Like talk about like just bet against the A's every single time. And Washington has been pretty bad. We've talked about their rosters not good. The Cincinnati Reds have been pretty bad, yep. even though they have some pieces to be excited about in the future. But Overall, it has been a very exciting start to the season, and I think we're going to continue to see that. And we're going to continue to see changes as based off how the rules are playing in as the season goes on and as pitchers get more comfortable. You know, as the stolen bases get uh, a little bit more challenging because those pitchers are more comfortable with the rules on the mound and they're starting to understand how to utilize the pickoff better. There's right. a lot of things we still have yet to see, but the good thing is, is that baseball is competitive for the most part outside of three or four teams as opposed to eight to ten, which is kind of what you <laughs> talked about. Right, exactly. Where you got Pittsburgh going to Oakland and tickets are five fucking bucks, dude. You know, and people aren't, people literally still aren't showing up to the ballpark. Um, transition to the last thing here. Um, got to talk about it as much as it hurts me. And the man, the man put me in, I, I'm still in shambles after what Jimmy Butler did to me last night. 
into my emotions. Um, but it, it needs to be talked about, about what Jimmy did and his impact that he's had on the Miami Heat team over the past four seasons now. Jimmy Butler has led the Miami Heat team with Eric Spolstra as well to an NBA Finals in the bubble. A bad postseason after that, but they were tired from the bubble. Same thing happened to the Lakers. He was one shot last year. Matt, do you remember the shot he took to try and win it on the fast break against Boston to being in the finals again? Yes. To now putting in injured, yes, but a better Milwaukee Bucks team on the brink of elimination with a 56-point masterclass yesterday. Once again, sending me, a massive Bucks fan, into complete depression and a, you know, onslaught of text messages from people I don't talk to, which happens every time. <laughs> but I've got to give him his flowers. Playoff Jimmy's a thing. Jimmy Butler's legacy is going to be a funny one. You know, he was there at the twilight of the D Rose years in Chicago, right? Where he really took off, had kind of a tumultuous leaving um, exit from Philadelphia. They still regret getting rid of him at this point goes to Minnesota and tells Carl Anthony down towns that he's soft and he doesn't play hard enough and that he's a little bitch when he was right. And then goes and signs with Miami to go play with coach Spo and bam out and is gone on this unbelievable run over the past four years and doing things in the playoffs that honestly, no other top players are doing consistently. Um, Jimmy Butler isn't a top five player in the NBA, no, but he is an all-time playoff performer, and I think his legacy will be reflected as such, and it's time to give Jimmy respect and to, if you haven't noticed, give the Miami Heat respect too, because if you don't show up to play, he will come and beat you in his own way in the mid-range with his pump fakes and getting to the free throw line. Now, we'll see if he has one more game left in him, but I think in my opinion, he's put this Milwaukee Bucks team to bed, and I, I honestly can't believe it. I'm in shock, but got to give him his flowers, man. Yeah, and I've, for the most part of uh, Jimmy's career, I've undersold what his abilities have been because at the end of the day, he's been very inconsistent. Um, we talked about this, uh, I think, a podcast either last week or the week before. I said, you know, Jimmy might get two good games against Milwaukee. At the end of the day, Milwaukee should be good enough to rally around that and, and, and win the series. I still don't think Milwaukee's dead. I think Milwaukee is the better team in this series. I think, obviously, from a coaching perspective, um, you had made a comment when I texted you after that game, you know, Mike McCarthy, which I think at this co- this point, Coach Bud, <laughs> you're really showcasing the ability to let your roster fall apart. But um, if Jimmy can go out and dominate one more game in this series, I will I will be sold on his ability to be the guy. My concern is... If he, even if they beat Milwaukee in the series, they're going to go in the next series. They could get swept. They could get completely swept. And I think what I've always looked at is, it's, it's, well, that's Jimmy's fault for being inconsistent. But when you really look at the talent around Jimmy, like people really it's like tough. Bam. And Bam isn't that great. He, he can be, but he's not, to me, he's not a top 20, top 30 player because he's also inconsistent. And then what? You have a bunch of shooters around him. I mean, you know, we brought Kyle Lowry in to really help bolster this team. He and Kevin Love and five undrafted exactly. players. Like, I mean, this team on paper is nothing compared to the Bucks, and Jimmy is willing that team to victory. It's 
it's extremely frustrating as a Bucks fan. But well, but I I think the the biggest name that comes to mind with a comparable um, career and how the league has elevated him is Dame. Like Dame's had some really good series, and he's put the team on his back, but it's always coming short. If you look at Jimmy's resume and you look at Dame's resume, I'm pretty sure we would agree that Jimmy's resume is better. For and sure. Yet, and yet we're talking about Dame like he is a significantly better player than Jimmy. And I'm sure there's more consistency there. But Jimmy goes out and wins playoff basketball games himself. It's not just Milwaukee, right? The track record is out there. And yet we don't give him the same respect, myself included, in this nature. And I really think if he can have one more elevated game against Milwaukee, for me, at least the narrative will have shifted. I think I would probably go as far to say I'll take Jimmy in a playoff series over Dame. And I didn't think I would ever be saying that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have come full circle since, yes, basically 2021. Yeah. When when he had that bad playoff series because they were literally still gassed from the bubble. But yeah, yeah man, uh, unbelievable. We will move on to football now, though. Okay. So this is, I mean, this is our, I mean, this is what we love to do here for football. Like, this is the funnest part. We've got the draft this week. The The draft order is set. Um, Aaron Rodgers is now on the Jets, so we know our Packers are picking 13th, lucky number 13. Um, we're going to do a little different this year. We didn't go into the full breakdown episodes like we did last year. Uh, had a little bit more content to put out for other stuff, so it is what it is. But we're going to go through each our position group here, talk about five to six guys, what we know, what we like, somewhat rank them, but more or less just have a discussion about each player starting. We're going to start with the quarterbacks, move down the line through the skill positions, then defense. So we'll jump right into it, Matt. I'll uh, I'll read through. Oh, and for the listeners, um, we're loyal CBS sports people here. So we're using the CBS list of 2023 NFL draft prospect rankings. Um, that's a topic for another time, but Matt and I like <laughs> CBS. Okay. Like it, it's, it's clean, concise, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So basically there's, there's really four guys to talk about. We'll throw a hooker into it here. I'll start the clock. Um, we got Bryce young ranked number one here. Stroud number two, they have Richardson three Levis four, and then Hendon hooker five, right? Those are the top five guys that are really talked about potentially all five of them going in the first, if not hooker going early in the second, Matt, um, are we, we're both consensus on Bryce young one. Yeah. Or do you, do you have someone else over him? I've got young as number one on my board. Yeah. I think young's number one on my board as well. Um, I would have argued, I think before the cognitive test that came out this week, which kind of even before we get into it, I want to ask you, Matt, like, do you take any validity from that cognitive test that shroud absolutely bombed in young passed with flying colors or is that just um i mean it's it's not great uh, i'll say that like it's not great but if i say i'm houston at two which it sounds like this isn't the case but say i'm at two or i'm the colts at four and i've loved him i'm still taking him you know Same. i don't think i don't think that's gonna deter me from going off him just because i've watched enough to cj a similar vein of justin fields from ohio state like I thought he won more games for them than his skill position players did. I felt that way with Fields. I felt that way with CJ Stroud. Um, even with Jackson Smith and Jigba going for 300 yards and three touchdowns in that Rose Bowl a couple of years ago, um, just pull up the Georgia tape, man. Like, tell me that's a guy that you don't want on your team. Pull up the Georgia tape. They beat Max Duggan and TCU by a million this year. And 
honestly, he looked great. Yeah, he had Marvin Harrison Jr., blah, 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 all that stuff. But um, it's not great, but it's not enough for me to put him below Richardson or Levis. I think Stroud and Young coming into this draft were the top two, and I still feel that way today. I don't. I'm pretty. I, I'm pretty dead set on that stuff a lot, especially when it comes to quarterbacks. Like, don't let the scout pro day get away from you. Um, I know you felt different about Richardson now over the past couple of weeks, though. Yeah, well, just to like reiterate here on the Shroud Young, I think for me, if I were if I were um, Carolina and I'm in between these guys, I think the cognitive test probably bumps Young to my pick. Just okay. because it concerns me enough whether he didn't take the whether CJ didn't take the test seriously. Whether it just wasn't his forte, you know, like I'm someone who wasn't an academic, you know, monster. Um, no. There were things I was good at and things that I wasn't <laughs> good at, and it and it didn't have anything to do necessarily with my intellectual ability. It just had to do with like what my brain processed properly, and maybe he just wasn't good at this test. Like that to me, that doesn't mean much, but it means enough at the number one pick when a guy scored 98 and he scored below 30. So, but you're right in regards to like after Young, I'm I'm taking Shroud. And I'll tell you, man, I, I sent you this text or this Instagram post the other day about Richardson and, and his comments in regards to, you know, I'm going to work my butt off until I'm a Hall of Famer or however it was quoted. I liked that because I know that even if you come into this league and you, you're, you're not ready to start, your mindset is I'm going to be the best. You know, likelihood is you're not going to be Tom Brady. Let's be real, right? Likelihood is you're not even going to be top 10 in the league. But if your mindset is constantly too grinding to get better, I know that I've got a guy that's going to come in and do the opposite that Kyler Murray's going to do. Yeah. And I think I would rather take that and take that, you know, extreme athleticism because I think he's probably the number one athlete in the quarterback class um, and, and work with him as opposed to maybe a guy like Will Levitz, who I've talked about a lot. Like, I'm sure each <laughs> one of these guys would probably come out and say the same thing Richardson did. But like when you look a man in the eyes and you, you see that passion in him and you see the drive that he has behind him. I'm really starting to buy that Richardson can be a starting quarterback in this league, unlike a guy like Malik Willis last year, where it seems very docile. Um, I think Richardson probably also has a chip on his shoulder, and dude, he's just a freak athlete. So much right. more comfortable with him today than I was even two weeks ago. Right. I actually um, I agree with you. I am very, very skeptical about Anthony Richardson still just because of his ability to process defense and make accurate throws like all the athletic stuff's there the numbers the size yeah yeah absolutely but i've watched enough florida this year to see the great the bad and the ugly from him and the ugly is bad but i think for him specifically it is imperative that he goes to the right spot right like he is a starter in two years guy right i think seattle is the perfect Raiders for him to go the Raiders would be solid too, but they'd be knocking on the door for him to come in too early, in my opinion. At least mm -hmm. he'd have Devontae Adams, but I think Seattle's the perfect pick for him. Um, my take on the top five in general is I'm pretty low on Levis. I think his ability, decision-making, accuracy is not great. Obviously, he tests out great body-wise and arm strength-wise, um, but where I'm at on this is that I think that Hendon Hooker is actually a better quarterback than these two guys but the acl and the age is just going to kill hendon unfortunately in the draft stock but if if hooker doesn't tear his acl this season i am putting him 
over Richardson and Levis, even though he's 25 years old. The ACL is just going to kill him, but I think he's going to five. Yeah, I think he's going to I think he's really going to surprise some people Um, if he goes to the right spot. He he has starting potential year one like he he was the best quarterback. uh, Sorry, second best quarterback in college football behind Young for three quarters of the season. Uh, he Both looked SEC, really, really right? good. Tennessee, yeah, he, SEC? He went, yep, yep, yep. He went. To, he played at Tennessee. He was unbelievable all year, dude. Yeah, he's very good. So, here's my thing with Hooker. I think he's. I, I watched enough of his tape this year. I didn't know that he was 25 years old. That concerns me. That's that's um, tough. Yeah. And the ACL, honestly, dude, the ACL is what it is. It really is what it is. Again, if he goes to the right situation, and I think the absolute perfect right situation is the Minnesota Vikings. Mm. Um, I think end of the first round, they need a lot of things. They need corner. They need offensive line. They need linebackers. (laughs) They need edge, right? They need a secondary wide receiver for Jay Jeff. They need running back. You need everything. Might as well just go and get your guy that's going to be the guy after Kirk Cousins. That's my view on it. You know, like, just go lock him up. You're going to have to pay Jay Jeff. Get your quarterback on a rookie deal. Get that fifth-year option that was so crucial for Jordan Love when the Packers traded back into the first round so that you are, you know, continuing this concept of four years after Cousins where you can start to buy the edge rush. You can buy the cornerback. You can buy the offensive lineman. But I don't think it's any surprise that the Vikings are genuinely thinking about their days after Kirk Cousins because he just hasn't gotten it done. Yeah. And Hooker's the type of guy coming into this NFC North that's really going to fit the profile of what the other teams are doing, right? The Bears have fields. The Packers have love. Very mobile, strong-armed quarterbacks that are working on accuracy. The Lions are looking to replace Jared Goff with probably a young prospect similar. So Hooker's going to fit into this division very well, and he's going to be the oldest off the bat once he's starting. I think the perfect fit is the Minnesota Vikings uh, because it does also allow him to recover from the injury. It allows him to step into the pro game under what I would consider is a very underrated quarterback in Kirk Cousins and a guy that is liked <laughs> and he can learn how to be a quarterback much like you know you think about Mahomes did with Alex Smith. Um, I don't know the difference in obviously Cousins and Smith and leadership of skills, but I think Hooker's perfect landing spot is Minnesota. Yeah, it's funny you bring up Cousins. Uh, I caught some, caught some heat from some twitter folks today saying like hey let's not act like kirk cousins isn't the best quarterback in the nfc north now and people were like justin fields oh i'm like just i'm taking golf it's i'm taking cousins still and this can be a a topic for another time but uh that's at home i'm taking golf on the road (laughs) i'm probably taking cousins (laughs) both of them in a dome i'm still taking kirk but anyways um last thing i'll say about this quarterback class kind of like fun hot take last year you and i who was our guy late in the draft zappy me this is uh this is the guy that i'm actually pretty relatively high on because my lady's from fresno i watched a lot of fresno state this year they're a great team jay kaner fresno state only six feet tall my take on him is he potentially could be a russell wilson type i'm not joking i feel like his arm talent's just as good if not better he's short similar to russell wilson i could see him coming in getting drafted and potentially passing someone up for a starting job here, whether this year or next year, he's got a rocket for an arm. Uh, came off an injury, but he ended up playing in the bowl game. Watch out, Jake Hayner, very, very good. Yeah, I don't have, um, I don't have a guy. Uh, I did read an article on the Athletic the other day, which was really interesting, and this was not something I knew. Uh, a lot of the quarterbacks that were expected to be in this class and kind of be our fourth to seventh round picks, the guys like Bo uh, Bo Nix from Oregon, is that correct, mm-hmm. Matt? Bo yep. Nix is Oregon. Yep. yep. 
Um, and then a, a slew of other kids that were, you know, playing around the, the old Miss quarterback, a few others stayed in college and entered transfer protocol. And you could go and reference this article yourself if you have interest in understanding more. But this is a very, very, very light, lacking of depth quarterback class. You know, we have the top guys up to Hooker and the kid that you just mentioned. It's a lot of guys that are going to be fighting for roster spots as opposed to years past where you have guys from the third to the seventh round that like have a very good shot of making their teams. And I think what that means for next year is we're going to have a very, very, very deep class. And we're also going to see some risers like Hooker this year. Maybe maybe it's Bo Nix that weren't projected to even be first or second round pick, but because they stayed in college yet another year, now we're seeing their stock skyrocket because they're a little bit older. They chose to come back for either their red shirt or their senior red shirt year. And it'll be interesting to look at next year's class. This year is just not a deep quarterback class. Yeah. I mean, I I somewhat agree with you. Uh, Bo Nix will be fucking 28 by the time he comes out anyway. So he'll be irrelevant (laughs) then. Um, He's a runner, but you know, you got a couple guys like you, you, these are just because I'm a degenerate gambler and watch a lot of these guys, but like Aiden O'Connell from Purdue, he's actually got a pretty nice arm. He played at Purdue though. So he didn't have a ton of great options, but he's got good size. I think he could actually be a decent quarterback, maybe a backup Uh, DTR from UCLA. I don't think we'll make it in the league. I just don't think his arm talent was good enough, but then you got deeper on the list, bro. You got the two guys that started in the national championship game. Don't, don't think that even though Stetson Bennett's 25 as well, like Kenneth hooker, that he can't make an impact on a roster. I'm not as high as on Max Duggan as other people, but his body type for the NFL is pretty good. And obviously he showed out in, in college to be, you know, a good enough quarterback to lead his team to the national championship. Um, also sleeper is uh Sean Clifford out of Penn state, but he's, he, he's deep. He probably, yeah. He probably won't get drafted. He's the last guy on the, on the list. Um, yeah. let's, let's move to a uh, Duggan and Bennett. will for sure. Uh, Bennett for sure. will get drafted though. I'll, I'll put my money on that. Well, and Matt, I'd argue, you know, either of those names, Duggan or Bennett would be a great opportunity to slide into New York for the jets. For sure. Yeah, Um, absolutely. I think with Rodgers knowing that this is his team for as long as it wants to be his team, let's be real, right? There is is no options. Zach Wilson is not the guy that we know of yet. But I I guess my point here is you bring Bennett or Duggett in and compete with Wilson and allow Rodgers to mentor and develop him through his own process, whatever that is. I think you could have in two, three years, if Rodgers continues to play a guy that's at least ready to lead this team through the offense whether it's Duggan Stenson or Will Wilson. Um, I just, I'm, I'm a believer that when you sit behind a Hall of Fame quarterback whose job is secure, you know, you're going to learn at a better rate. And I, I think bringing in one more name to that quarterback room to help competition with Wilson w- would just benefit maybe his development, but the development of Stenson or Duggan as well. I really yeah. like that fit for the Jets. Yeah, I agree. Um, a class that's not deep at all, in my opinion, is the running back class this year. Um, you know, obviously it's headlined by Bijan Robinson and Jamari Gibbs, but other than that, you know, there's a lot of a lot of question marks out there on the board. There's a lot of guys farther down on this list than I thought. Looking at Zach Charbonnet, uh, as well as Kendra Miller for um, TCU, but I mean, Bijan's going to be a home run, right? I, I think I think we know that he's going to be good as long as he goes to the right spot. I'm seeing a ton of rumors about Robinson on our episode last week. I said, I think the Eagles should take him at 10. I've seen now that 
Tennessee is going to take him and ship off Derrick Henry. And there's all sorts of shit coming out that you, you can't necessarily believe. But I think him and I think he's the only one to go first round, though. Gibbs is a nice player, but I don't think any teams maybe towards the latter half, as we talked about Buffalo, obviously, who won't take one. But I, I, I might I think Robinson might be the only one to go first round. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think there might be some desperation, as you said, the Bills end of the first. Um, we talked a little bit last week about like that ugly tier of the first round at the end where it's just like, yikes, like you kind of mm-hmm. see this starter superstar potential completely gone. And I think from a landing spot of how it kind of changes the face of an offense, the Bills need a running back. This is going to be the narrative we're pushing for the next 10 years. Like <laughs> yeah. we're going to be 40 talking about the Bills should have taken Brees Hall. Um, <laughs> it's true though. And yeah. I think Gibbs is the Gibbs is the guy. Like he's not Brees Hall, but he's at least going to he's going to change your offense and what you can do and he's going to add a different layer to to what Buffalo is doing. I could see him first there, but you're right. Like we didn't do I didn't do as much in-depth research in these running backs as we have in years past like after Gibbs, I'm I'm very novice with all these guys. I just don't have a lot of information. But there is a name I wanted to highlight based off an article I was reading today, and that's uh, Dwayne McBride from UAB, 59209, uh, junior coming out. Article is just talking about how he could be a sleeper late. You know, we talk about Elijah Mitchell, Aaron Jones, uh, the kids that get taken from the fifth to the seventh round that provide immediate impact. Isaiah Pachenko, McBride is the guy that this article through the Athletic had picked as the guy that could be a day one like that. heavy rapper. And um, I'm sure there's a number of them. I'm sure a bunch of these kids have extreme talent, but I just don't know enough about them. Um, and then the other name is um, let's see here, kid from UCLA that you probably know a little bit more about Charbonnet. Yeah, Charbonnet. Charbonnet has an opportunity to be an every down back, correct? Because he's more of a physical brooder. <laughs> Yeah, well, he uh, he was Michigan's running back uh, last okay. year. And then he transferred out because they went full time to Blake Corum, who's so the the running backs at the top next year, in my opinion, are going to be even better than probably Robinson, even which is a topic for another time. Um, really, really good players. The kid from uh, K State, I forget his name, and then um, Blake Corum, who didn't come out and decided to come back. He's the running back from Michigan. He's fucking amazing. Uh, anyways, but yeah, Charbonnet was there, and then he transferred and played with DTR at UCLA and had a really really nice season he runs the ball well and he can catch too which is another thing that's obviously very valuable for 2023 football well and name a name like him and then we also talk about gibbs like i think a really important target here is what the la chargers are going to do in the in the concept of replacing austin eckler yeah good call Um, you know like when we look at teams in need a lot of these nfl teams have the running backs now right like the jaguars need a combo bat to etn but like what is what's the Chargers plan going to be? So just a couple names with McBride and uh, Charbonnet. Honestly, I love Zach's name, Charbonnet. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty sweet you know, name. Yeah, obviously Charbonne, you uh, think it's it's Chardonnay every time, right? Like when he was running around for touchdowns <laughs> last year, I was watching the games with the lady. I was like, holy shit, let's drink some Chardonnay, baby. You know, like I don't even drink wine, but just, <laughs> why not? It, it sounds awesome. Um, I mean, I'm slightly a believer that in order to be like a really good player, you have to have like a really a cool name. name. Yeah, yeah you not like, Matt. Not yeah, not <laughs> Matt. You know, um, and Charbonnet is just like he's got it. Like that's that for that's sure. That's selling point, right? For sure, I agree. Um, okay, moving on to the wide receiver. This is a funny list. Um, this is a funny list that they have here. How they have ranked the receivers in comparison to everything that I've been seeing over the past few weeks, especially after the combine. Now they have Quentin Johnson one who a lot of people are saying is moving out of the first round, which is 
mind blowing to me, to be honest with you. Like from watching as much college, this is what I'll, I'll let you go after I say this. From watching as much college football as I did this past year, I was like, yeah, I love Jordan Addison and I love Quentin Johnson, right? And Jigba was the obvious guy after his Rose Bowl performance that was going to be kind of the cream of the crop for the class. So I have in Jigba one, but Quentin Johnson and Jordan Addison, no doubters to me. And the fact that they just keep somehow moving back the closer and closer we get to draft day is mind blowing to me. So that's where I will start the wide receiver conversation. But please tell me your thoughts on uh, on some of these guys here. Well, and, and I want your opinion on this because you you have the ability to watch more college football than I do. You know, since Correct. I work, work Saturday. So my question for you, and I'm really curious to get your answer as someone that watches the, the games and the tape. Quinn Johnson, you get to choose one. Quinn Johnson, yeah. uh, Drake London, Traylon Burks. You're starting yeah. an organization. Who are you taking? That's Don't a rank great, them for me. I, I honestly like. I'm probably throwing Johnson number one. That's sure. what I would think. Like right? he's. Like, he's that guy like yeah. i don't I, I don't know what happened in the testing which he didn't test great and his numbers at the combine and pro day and all that stuff wasn't awesome but i mean why why was tcu good like why is max duggan <laughs> good yeah. of all the heisman you know what i mean like why why are we having these conversations for tcu it starts and stops with quentin johnson like, I, I don't know how you put on TCU games and don't think, yeah, I would love that guy to be my starting wide receiver. And I love Traylon Burks. We, we know where I fall with that. And I, I, I put Burks as my number one guy last year. Um, You know, probably wrong now looking back on it. But I, I feel that strongly about Johnson here. Now, I do have him ranked third in this class because i do think jordan addison's that special as well and like i said smith and jigba is the best one in the class but i I just can't believe i I, like we talked about last week like i'm seeing that he might go to the fucking chiefs like is that are we really gonna do this (laughs) well the league is changing and we spoke on this last year um and i think we spoke on it you know in the off season last summer as well the the league is changing in regards to prototype for what you have for wide receiver the quinn johnson drake london Traylon burke's prototype player which is uh you know we'll call him uh adams um mike evans body type i mean yeah like andre johnson type you know andre yep on the physical cat the physicality that also has like a, a touch of speed to them which you know Devontae does and doesn't but it's more or less because of his out route running it's shifting away it's becoming the garrett wilson's the chris alabe's the smith and jigma justin like, jefferson justin Jeffrey, chase well, right and like, justin has had a little more size than these guys in terms of height but like he body control skinny right so he's in he's out of routes um you know you have the elusive nature more where short routes are really becoming pretty dominant with these younger quarterbacks in the nfl as opposed to the tom brady's the aaron Rodgers, who want to look downfield who want to have a guy like moss out there to be able to jump up so right. I'm, I'm seeing that transition and i think when you look at atlanta and you look at tennessee last year where london and burks uh landed they had bad quarterbacks so you really didn't get to see the usage of the ball downfield because you had accuracy issues you had arm strength issues you had a bad offensive line on both teams like there wasn't the time to push this ball downfield and I think that's what we need to think about when we talk about where does Johnson fall. He needs to be with a veteran quarterback or a good offensive line and a quarterback that's coming into competence. That's Green Bay, right? That's the New York Giants, possibly. Um, definitely the Chiefs, which would be completely unacceptable if Johnson falls there. But <laughs> right, right. Um, I think my, I think I'm going Smith and Jigma one, 
Johnson two. I think I'm going Addison three just because I like the upside of Johnson as a one. I think Addison is going to be at best a great number two, a absolutely fantastic slot three. Sure. Um, like Addison on the on the Eagles would be fantastic. I think that's where I'm talking I mean, about let's, with three. Yeah, and I mean, let's not forget he was hurt. He he got an injury during the year last year, but he was the fucking rec- wide receiver of the year for Kenny Pickett in yeah, Pittsburgh Pitt. two yep. years ago. Like the guy is an absolute stud. He's very, very, very good. Um, and that's no disrespect to Zay Flowers, Downs, Scott, and Hyatt here. Um, who I think are are on the next tier. I know Flowers has been getting a lot of pub the last, I don't know, week and a half, two weeks, especially since he completed a workout with um, Mahomes in Dallas. I don't know if you saw that or not, Matt, but mm. Mahomes requested to work out with him. So he's also someone to be looking at down at the bottom of the draft. But I mean, with this weaker class and the success for at least the top five to eight guys in the past couple of years draft classes, I mean, I, I still wouldn't be surprised to see five or six of these guys go in the first round, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I've, I've got those three as that first tier tier. Um, I'm a lot higher on Jalen Hyatt, I guess Same. than everyone else. Um, yeah. I like him comparable to flowers. Flowers is a tough study in a tough rank because he went to Boston college and going back to my Hendon hooker comment, like Hyatt looked really good. Cause he had, hooker but hooker looked good because he had hyatt as well you know it was a it was a nice healthy relationship between the both of them but normally when you see a good quarterback receiver combination that means both the players can go um so i have hyatt and flowers right there and then kind of rounding it out with downs and scott and then the rest of these guys down here too yeah i don't know anything about downs or scott um you know i'd have to kind of lean on you for that but hyatt for me you know, very different body type, but he reminds me a lot of Christian Watson with the concerns that I have, which would have been, you know, drops a little bit. I don't have any relevance to actually, you know, speak on that. Um, but body size being a little skinnier and then, you know, health concerns, I think Hyatt can easily provide value to the Bills, to the Chiefs. You know, he can take that third level right off the top of the defense. I think that's so huge when you talk about both the Chiefs as well as the Bills. Bills obviously having a better wide receiver room right now than the Chiefs with Diggs, but I think both of these teams can can lean on a guy like Hyatt to possibly be a key to beat each other through the next three, four years, especially <laughs> right. now that you have the Jets with Rodgers. So I don't want to sleep on Hyatt. I just think that there is you know comparability to big-time speed. You're not going out and probably drafting a guy that's going to be your number one right away. I think he can de- develop kind of like Christian Watson did for the Packers into a guy that you can trust and can just do things physically that you know other guys on this list cannot do. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, moving on to the next position, I think this is the first time that we've done the draft here as we've been podcasting together that the tight end group is bigger than one to two guys. Yeah. You know, um, I've got I've got the group six deep here and I'm throwing your guy Kraft in there as the sixth guy. Um, the top three are potential day one guys, and they're going to really determine where some of these receivers that we just talked about went. Uh, CBS has Meyer or Mayor number one, Dalton Kincaid to Washington out of Georgia three, Laporta four, who I think are definitely the best. Like I think those four are the top, but then 
Luke Musgrove's a player as well as your guy Tucker Craft out of South Dakota State who's been getting a lot of pub here. Now I've I've seen a lot of conflicting reports. I've seen a lot of debate. I personally don't think you can go wrong with the first two. I think Darnell Washington is a bit of a risk. Yeah, I think he is. I don't want to say Kyle Pitts because that he Pitts got put into an unfair situation, in my opinion. I think Pitts is still an elite tight end. Just he needs a little bit more of an opportunity out there in Atlanta. Um, but he has bust potential, in my opinion, because he's only he's pretty like he's only got one dynamic to him. You know, he can catch the ball. Other than that, like he's he's not as flexible as Meyer Kincaid. Kincaid's the best route runner. Meyer could be Gronk. So I saw a really fantastic comp this week, and it's completely wrong, but I think in three <laughs> or four years, it could be accurate depending on where Washington falls. And it was of our boy, Big Dog. So they were literally looking at the size and the athleticism because when we're talking about mm-hmm. size and athleticism, Big Dog came out of UCLA and it was, I mean, he He's was jaw-droppingly athletic. Right. Uh, I mean, you have to be to play 18, 19 years in the NFL like he still is. Obviously, he's now known, even dating back to his days in Jacksonville, as the elite pass blocking tight end in the league. I think partially because of technique, but really because of his athleticism and his size. And I bring up Washington in that comp that I was reading in this um, in this article because I think Washington could develop that level of skill. But he has to go to the right like team. And he has to go to a team that he's not being the number one tight end day one when he hits camp. He's got to be the guy that we're going to work on the technique. We're going to leverage your size. We're going to leverage your athleticism. We're going to teach you how to do this and then really break into the ability to run his routes and his route tree. Um, I think Washington, realistically for me, is probably five on this list because he's a one-shot pony Ooh. right now. He has the upside, but I think Kraft day one for, we'll just say Green Bay, uh, Giants, like I think Kraft provides more of a balanced approach, but I think Kincaid won in talent because we kind of talked last week. I, I liken Kincaid to like a Travis Kelsey. I know Kelsey's a Hall of Famer, best right, of all right, time, right. but like his, his route running is yes. very, it's, it's, it's Pro Bowl, it's, it's all pro level mm-hmm. already on tape, 100%. And uh, I think, I think Mayer is probably the most balanced all of all these guys like you take Meyer you're going to get a guy he's going to be great you know no problems Kincaid has the bigger upside Meyer has the higher floor Washington is I think Washington's got all the floor or the ceiling in the world but like he could be out of the league in three years well the thing about Washington that I just I think it's funny no one's really bringing up at least on the stuff that I've been seeing is that he was the second best tight end on this team like in that but Bowers is going to be He's going to be a top 10 top pick five. next year. So this isn't yeah. like th- that's not a knock, but it's that's an NFL guy. And mm-hmm. he was the second best to the NFL guy on his team. Right. Pretty substantially too, like yeah, a significant about, difference. So I don't know. And that, that's, that's a and, shitty um, knock, but you know, Mark Ingram, it is what it is. Right. Yeah. Like Henry got his chance at Bama, but Ingram was what? I mean, Henry won back. the Heisman. Yeah. And Ingram did too. Right. Yeah, like I know. So I don't want to discredit him because he's on one of the best college team currently. Um, Correct. You're naturally going to have guys sitting behind other guys that are just so much. They're just elite. Washington's tough. He's going to get taken too high. He, he just is. Some some teams going to the Packers are going to take him at 13 and we're going to be throwing no, our no, TVs no. out the window. No, the Packers um, are. Ta- I think the Packers are. Meyer is a dark horse for the Packers at 13, I think, yeah, for sure. I hope not. But but I like Laporta, too. I, I think you've got guys that can yeah. go first, second, even third. Like if you can I think get if you craft, want a tight end, take them. 
any of them, honestly, you know, like <sighs> I, I think it all depends on draft position. Like we talked about top 15, top 17 picks. Like if you're in that, if you're in that hot spot and you need a tight end, I think you wait for the second and you end up taking Laporta or you take Kraft or you take Washington, like whoever's there in the second sure, round, okay. you take them. But Meyer and Kincaid for me really are guys that are going to hit that like 15 to 30. And we talked end of the draft first round. Like there's just a lot, a lot of randomness. Like those are going to be really good positions. Like if the chief draft Kincaid or Meyer to, to be the heir apparent to Kelsey. Oh my God. You know? Like, yeah. Yeah, for oh. sure. That's true. Like that's, that's a good point. That's the yeah. kind of thing you got to look at. Yeah. CBS has Kincaid at 31, which is right at the latter half of the draft. I think both of them are going top 20, honestly. Like I, I really do. I, I think, I think they grade out better than some of those receivers after the top three we were talking about, like, you know, and, and that's, and it, it all depends on fit, but tight end is becoming more and more and more valuable every single year, right? Like you need a good tight end. The best team in the NFL has arguably the best tight end of all time. Right. So, um, I don't know. These guys are really interesting and I, I am really high on, on mayor personally, man. Like I've, I've loved him ever since I've seen him the past two years at Notre Dame. So I just think he he has Gronk potential because mm. he is a freak of nature. I feel that way about Kincaid hands. in regards to the athleticism. Um, yeah, I like both of them. I like you can't go wrong with either of those guys. I agree. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, all right, let's talk about your guys, man. Let's let's get to the let's get to the trenches. I'll actually let you play quarterback here for the trenches. Let's let's talk a little bit about the interior and uh, exterior linemen. Well, I got in a heated debate with my one of my best friends today about uh, our boy Skoronsky. Yeah. Um, a lot yeah. of the, the other boy who's a Packer fan. Like, got to love that. Rooting for, I would rooting love for the hometown. Um, Skoronsky, undersized a little bit for, for tackle position. Uh, 6'4", 313, Northwestern. I've loved him and talked about him now for what seems like months. Um, they are really, really, really trying to push the narrative that he should be a guard. And I was frustrated by that because he was the number one PFF rated offensive lineman in the country. He played left tackle, which means he was the highest rated left tackle in the country. And because of the size, I think it's easy to say, hey, we're going to go ahead and toss him at guard. And the comps that I was seeing on some of these mock drafts through these articles was Zach Martin, which if you're going to take Skaronsky and you're going to toss him in at left guard or right guard, and he's going to become Zach Martin. Okay. It's a hall of fame yeah, talent. Like like I perennial I, pro bowler. Okay. Sure. Right? Yeah. But you're telling me Zach Martin couldn't slide to left tackle. If the Cowboys needed him to, he absolutely could. And he'd probably be top 10 in the league because he's that kind of athlete. He's a, an elite level offensive lineman. So my thing is with the absolute drastic need you have in this league right now and the money that's being paid out to left tackles and right tackles, why not keep this kid at, at tackle? The bears are the number one target. I think at nine that could absolutely use this kid and really allow him to develop into a really good left tackle because you have a mobile quarterback that's going to amplify his ability. Um, and again, he's a little smaller, so he's going to be a little quicker. So you have all these things kind of playing in his favor with more of a mobile quarterback. I love him as the left tackle in this draft. I would go as far to say you have day one starter, you have a 10-year starter in Skaronsky, whether you choose to play him at tackle or guard. And then Paris Johnson. I think Paris Johnson is, is someone that we could really look at um, with a lot of these left tackles that have been taken in the last couple of years that have boomer bust, you know, we've seen some guys that we thought were just going to bust out, play really well. And we've seen some guys that we thought were going to be great. Like, um, like beacon for the jets, just have injury concerns and not stay on the field. I think Johnson is still a very solid top 15 pick in this draft. Uh, it is interesting to me though, that we do not have 
top five grades on any of these guys. Um, Norman yeah, me too. This year, we got one, right? And I think the size for Skaronsky is an issue. Uh, I think the injury history of Johnson at Ohio State is an issue. I think Broderick Jones as well, being at Georgia and in that offense where they're not tested as much as other teams have been, which is crazy because they're SEC because there's so much talent around him has been an issue. Uh, Darnell Wright, I don't have many comments about Darnell Wright. That's going to be something I want to see play out. But those guys I'm comfortable with all in the first round for that position of need. Yeah, I, I also them not being graded top five is, you know, you got quarterbacks up there. And then this list in particular has Bijan Robinson at five. You know, you can argue. Yep. I mean, and Robinson's a fucking awesome prospect, you know, so I'm not really going to sit here and, you know, get all upset about it. This, well, this draft class find. is also this draft class is also kind of average, you know, like there isn't there's. Outside of honestly, like young, right? You know, like the quarterbacks, like there isn't guys that you're like, we fucking need this guy. You know, like if there's no generational guys that are popping off the page here, not saying any of these guys we've talked about today aren't, but like Skaronsky should be a 10 year starter. Yeah, maybe he'll be a, a Hall of Famer. You know, like maybe he'll be a all pro, but he'll probably be a 10 year starter, which is great. Uh, I feel the same way about Paris Johnson. I feel the same way about Broderick Jones, right? Even, even right. But those top three guys, like I feel they're all in that same vein that if they stay healthy, you've got a guy that can be a starter for years to come, right? And you have a, you have an opportunity of, of a top tackle in the league from just the little bit of film I've seen on Broderick. I think Broderick could be hands down in five years, the best. I think he has elite level athleticism and because he has, he's continued to keep his body weight in control. He's fluid out there. Um, I think he's raw. I think there's a lot of development to go with Broderick Jones. Um, I mean, he's coming out as a redshirt sophomore. Like, let's be real. This kid is going to be starting to go up against grown men. You know, he's going to be facing the Boses and the Max, and like, he's going to need some time to develop. But if you can develop him in an organization where, you know, very similar to what they did with Eldon Jenkins, where it's like, we're going to put you inside and then we're going to transition you outside. We're going to get you comfortable with the scheme. I think he could transition, and I want to say a, a Trent Williams, which is a Hall of Famer, and that's a lot to put on the kid, but like, there's an immense ceiling there. He just needs to be put in the right position. Yeah, I mean, this is a deep class, man. Um, I agree with you. I think the line is uh, they're going to go flying off the board early second, you know, which is going back to the Packers at the beginning, really good spot to be in because maybe one of these guys falls because we get a little quarterback happy in the first round, right? And yep. five guys go. And next thing you know, you got a Darnell Wright or an Anton Harrison sitting there at fucking 42, you know, well, like and we you, talked, you never, uh, never know. Cody, Cody Mosh. I'm really butchering the name. I think, uh, North I, I think State. it's, Ma- I think it's Mosh. I think he's just Mosh. Right? I think um, so. senior six, five, three Oh two, you know, basically standard protocol for all these guys. I think he's nice. Like, and Again, like let's think back. David Bakhtiari, no namer when the Packers drafted him. You know, like Correct. these guys. Most of these guys on, are. Yeah, like it's all about the development, and and I think that's key, especially though with the the, the Broderick Jones, like Dar- Darnell Wright. These guys can step in and play, but you know, it's it's really what the boards have in play and what these teams want. Um, I think this is a deeper left tackle class than we've seen in a few years, which almost, in my opinion, hurts that top tier grade. When you have five guys that are like, hey, they're all around the same playing talent. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, why take Skaronsky at six when you can get Darnell Wright at 36? It's it's hard when you when you have guys that it's a deeper top tier class. 
I agree. Uh, that's similar to the next position that we're going to jump right into is the other side, the D line, dude. Is I mean, just from edge rushers, not even the inside guys. The inside's a little light, but CBS has <laughs> has one, two, three, four, five guys in the top twenty-two at defensive end or edge rushers, which is honestly insane. Like that's basically a fifth of the top twenty. You know, doing a little bit over on that. A fifth, 20% of the top 20 are edge rushers. That's crazy, man. Um, obviously, Will Anderson's the cream of the crop. He's going to go to Arizona. If they pass on him, I'll just cry laughing. Um, but yeah, man, Tyrese Wilson is a stud. I like, I personally like Miles Murphy over Van Ness, but Van Ness is a fucking, he is your classic Midwestern farm boy, yep. dude. Like, he is that. I don't wear gloves, no sleeves. Like I'm fucking Reggie White and people out of the way. Um, and then Nolan Smith, you know, like he's getting a lot of talk around Packers camp as potentially falling, you know, later on in the draft. Um, but I, I don't think any of those guys you can go wrong with. Well, that's funny. You talk about Nolan Smith. I think you have, uh, I think you have really similar Rashawn Gary comps on him with the idea that I know he's coming out as a senior, but like you have a lot of raw potential. And you have a guy that, like, let's be honest, it's going to be two or three years before you really see him really tap into that potential, I think, as he starts to really get pro technique down. But when the Packers have two Georgia guys on their their defense already, just on the line in the linebacker core, Nolan Smith comes in there at three, and then you talk about Stokes. That's four Georgia defenders from this you know dominant run. In two years. Yeah, and it's funny because three, like – this is what the Raiders tried to do with uh, their regime, and it just didn't work because they were drafting all the wrong guys from the elite schools. I like Nolan Smith a lot. Uh, Will Anderson is getting a lot of buzz this week about not being up to the upper echelon of where teams want him to be, and I think that's ridiculous. You look at the tape. He's been dominant, and he was dominant on an Alabama team that wasn't as dominant as a Georgia team. I think that's really yep. important. Uh, don't know much about uh, Tyree Wilson. Obviously, if he's rated this high, we're talking about a stud, as you said. Uh, Van Ness, I think, is the perfect safe bet at edge. You know, he could develop into a very, very good player. We talk about TJ Watt a lot being a guy that was under um, undersold with his draft prospect. No, he's one of the top two, three guys in the league. I could see a ceiling with Ness, but I'm not projecting that. Um, and then Miles Murphy, bigger guy, I think probably better at a DN position. Um, maybe really, really solid in a four, three defense. So he can really kind of utilize his size without having to play, you know, that not that nose tackle, but that fill position that is a defensive end on a three, four defense. Um, and then Nolan Smith, I think has probably the highest upside after all these other guys, like him at 22, you're getting a project, but I think you're getting a very, very athletic lottery ticket project. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you're getting someone from an elite defense, right? Like mm -hmm. these Georgia guys have panned out for the most part, right? Um, yeah, I, I think honestly, like if I'm drafting potential, it's got to be Van Ness just with the age outside of Will Anderson. Um, but, you know, what's going to end up inevitably happening is they're probably like I'm Van Ness and Murphy are going to fall a little bit and they're going to go into a team that doesn't necessarily need a good edge rusher and they're just going to bolster up their defense. Like, I think that's just what inevitably is going to happen for these guys. Um, but I overall, either of them on the Ravens, Matt, I like, you know, for sure. I know the Ravens need cornerback, but like, God, just putting one of those guys on, on the Ravens would be really nice. Pair him with would. Smith, you know, it would. And I mean, what team develops 
edge rushers better than the Ravens. Mm-hmm. I, I'd argue, I'd argue none of them do. So, <laughs> um, moving on to, is this the last one? This is the last one. Yep. Defensive back. So there's really only one safety that we were going to talk about. And it's kind of because he might go to the Packers, but Brian branch, what have you looked up on him? And then we'll go to the corners because the corner class is fucking awesome. Honestly, I think Branch is probably a higher floor than a lot of the Alabama safeties that we've seen that just haven't worked out in the NFL. You know, um, I think Branch is going to be a guy that's honestly, I'd cop him to Amos. Like, I think you have a solid defender. I think you have a guy that's going to also be an eight to 10 year vet in the league. Um, can probably, after three or four years, run a defense, run the scheme from the secondary position. You don't have as much of a playmaker in regards to just fluidity in the way he moves, but played for Alabama, knows how to run a professional defense in a lot of ways. Um, I just, I have a hard time taking safety in the first round because they miss so many times at the back end of the first round. Usually if you're taking a guy top 15 at safety, you're going to get a hit. Um, But just looking back on the history that we have done in the past, like after that 15th pick, you're really taking a a dart and throwing it on a board for safety position. (laughs) I, I would, I would just steer away from that especially at 13 if i'm green bay like at 15 i think it was more of a realistic approach based off when we did our little like contemporary mock there's just too much talent on the board at 13 yeah i agree with you and at the end of the day if any of these cornerbacks at the top are there and you're thinking dbs like figure out the safety thing later like honestly you know go trade for buda baker do what you need to do i don't know whatever um Gonzalez, Witherspoon, Banks, Porter Jr. Unbelievable. All of them. Um, I think Christian Gonzalez is the best one. He's the youngest one. His height and weight is great. His numbers are great. His tape is awesome. Um, I'm putting Joey Porter second, personally. Um, I like his game. I've seen enough of him play against solid to elite receivers playing against the pull up the Ohio state tape. Uh, even his game against Purdue actually was fucking unbelievable. They just kept going to him, kept going to him and he was just dominating that game. Um, six, three buck 93, man. You can't complain about that at cornerback. Obviously his dad played in the league too. I love that as you know, like, you know how to be a professional. He comes in knowing what it takes to be that guy. I uh, I got Gonzalez one, but I I am high 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 on Porter Jr. and I like Banks a lot too. So I mean, I, that's just personal preference. Well, and we're seeing the the father son lineage really work. Sertan Jr. Right? Um, oh yeah. We're seeing uh, Asante Samuel Jr. Like Asante Samuel is probably nickel based in in elite nickel based as he gets older in his career. I don't think he has the size to take QB or uh, I mean, what do you intercept? Two. What do you intercept Lawrence twice in that twice. playoff game? Yeah. Like it was it twice or three times, maybe three times. Honestly, I'm yeah. trying to remember at least think, twice, yeah, at least twice. Um, but I, if I remember correctly, he was playing the nickel and great, so. like nowhere to put your kids, nowhere to put your guys, right? Like if that's where he's an elite level player, put him there. And, I think Porter is absolutely a number one or a number two cornerback. Like he has the size first and foremost. That's the hardest thing at the cornerback position to find is speed and size. He has the height at six, three for me though. I'm taking Devin Witherspoon. Number one, I've watched the most film on him. Very, very, very aggressive in man coverage and has the speed and the step to stay with the guy. If, if he's too aggressive 
and I love watching the aggressive nature from the quarterback, the cornerback position. Like Sauce does it really well. Uh, Ramsey's done it really well. When you can really jam and get in a guy's face, I think that's one of the biggest things to take away the mental aspect of the game. And Porter as well with his size has that. So I have Witherspoon one, Porter number two, Gonzalez number three. I don't think he's going to be bad, but I, I have concerns with the age as well as just the upside ability that Porter and Witherspoon bring. And then I have absolutely no idea about Banks. That's all your corner. You know, you, <laughs> no, you, yeah, you I just about him being good. Yeah, he's really good. And I think just just a summary of the, the top four in this group in general, and the reason they're all, at least per CBS, ranked top 15 of the whole prospects on the board is that they all man up. And I think that is an extremely valuable asset in today's game, right? Being able to man up and cover the best guy on the other team gives you an automatic advantage as a defense and as a team to win big games in big moments. Look at McDuffie. Look at what happened in Kansas City this year. Look at look at the Eagles, you know, honestly, until the Super Bowl. Like, they were playing fantastic man-to-man defense, and they went out and paid for that. So I think that's a trend in the league where we're going right now is let's go back to manning up on the outside and pressuring the quarterback, right? And I think all four of these guys, however you want to shape them up and rank them up here, you know that you're going to get a guy that can do that. And Matt, they're all over six foot. Like they all have the prototype. So, well, and um, Keely Ringo, sophomore coming out of Georgia, yeah. very raw, Project. got burned really bad. Project, though, like you said, you know, that might be a nice pick. If the Eagles go Robinson round one and they don't trade, obviously, for Derrick Henry because now they have Robinson, I could really enjoy watching Ringo develop with that cornerback uh, class that they have and crew in, in Philadelphia and seeing him kind of come into his own. I think raw is the hardest thing for any guy to be taken when they have that raw position, especially at the cornerback position, because if you get taken to a bad team and they expect you to start right away, you're just going to get burned over and over and over and over again. And the biggest name that comes to mind for me are the Giants cornerbacks of the past decade, uh, the young kids that they've taken. But Eli Apple tossed him in there early pick, just never really had the time to develop and was put in a position where he had to be a starter. So Ringo needs to be on the depth chart four at the absolute highest. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, I mean, he got spun around like a top by Marvin Harrison Jr., but that's yeah, going to be that's... arguably, the, but, but that's going to be the number one guy off the board next yeah, year, yeah. like receiver wise. So it's, it's, it's an it's NFL a good guy test, though, right? For exactly. Yeah. So it's like, Hey man, yeah, like they're all humans out there. Like <laughs> it is what it is. He's still, he was still the starting quarterback at Georgia. He's a, he's a player. Um, but I agree. I think this cornerback class is great. As far as just in summary here for me, as we finished all these groups here, um, my favorite group is actually this cornerback group. Second is the wide receiver group for me. And then obviously the quarterbacks, but I expect the draft to be really fun. Um, I'll let you tell me your favorites, but do you, and after that, I have a second question is, do you think any big names like AJ Brown get traded? Um, Dude, I'm gonna be lame. I think my favorite class or uh, classification is probably offensive line. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've been talking age. about it for weeks. Honestly, though, you have you've been stoked on it. Yeah, and, it, and it's like yeah, it shows my age. Uh, second cornerback, <laughs> without question. Um, yeah. No, undoubtedly. And then, then I think probably third is just wide receivers because I'm really excited to see what happens in this draft. You know, like it's it's not like years past where we're like we know this team is taking this guy, right? Um, it's all in question. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors going on. And to answer your question, yes, I think Derrick Henry gets traded. 
I would really encourage the Eagles to take a cornerback, to trade that second round pick, to get Derrick Henry. You got your two, three years of your running back. You've got your Witherspoon, your Gonzalez, your Banks, or your Porter at 10. You know, you can develop that guy. And I, I think Derek's definitely the guy. And then I think D Hop is definitely also going to get traded to a draft day. Mm, Whichever team good one. misses out on the wide receiver they wanted, Kansas City, Buffalo, whoever misses the guy, Green Bay. I think immediately pulls the trigger. I think it's probably a third round pick for D hop at this point. Um, they might be desperate enough on draft day where teams are negotiating against each other where they could get a second. But I think D hop, uh, Derek Henry are the easiest choices. And I, I kind of think that's probably it. Maybe Buda Baker, you know, say the Packers are looking at their 42nd overall pick and you know, they, they just feel like, Hey, we like what we got already. Like we're going to take this pick and we're going to get Buda Baker. Now the, now the Rogers trade really comes down to like Skaronsky, Buda Baker and next year's first love that deal. Um, so three names I think could absolutely be moved. Love that. All right, brother. Well, let's enjoy draft week. Let's run it back next week. We appreciate all you guys. We'll see you on our socials at PitcherBetPod, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Have a good week, guys. Enjoy the draft.